strong that I will not move. I will not move. You are the truth. You mean more to me than words could ever say. So I promise, Lord, I'll never walk away. that I have a love for the truth. Amen. If the Bible tells us that if we don't have a love for the truth, God would send us a strong delusion that we would believe a lie. I want to have a love for the truth. Amen. Amen. I want to love His Word and the truth of His Word. Amen. I want it to resonate in my mind and in my heart. I want to love His truth. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Excited to get excited into the word, the word of the Lord tonight. Both our songs touched on the subject that we're going to speak on speak tonight. tonight. And that is the subject of holiness. Thank you, Lord. Last week, Last Pastor, Pastor Barber began the series God's Holiness and ours. ours. Tonight is the tonight second is the lesson second in this series. series. Tonight's lesson is that called to be holy. Called be holy. How many know that you know call to be holy? Amen. 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 Why don't we go before the Lord in prayer? Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to delve into the Word. Lord, to teach your Word tonight. God, I pray, Lord. Anoint our ears to hear, Lord, our hearts to respond to your Word. Lord, may your Word have the desires effect, Lord, tonight. As we get into your Word, I pray, God, that your Word would ignite fervor and silence, Lord Jesus, to be holy for you are holy. We pray this in Jesus' name, Jesus. Amen. 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 I echo, I echo pastor's, pastor's words about words this last Sunday morning. Sunday morning. What an incredible, incredible time we had with our children in our Christmas, our Christmas drama. drama. Andy came in and did a phenomenal job. Just incredible. 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 In fact, a family member family commented, member to, commented me, to me. Uh, that, uh, that comes occasionally to, to our church and said, said, that's the kind of production we hate so, well, that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive, pretty impressive to say those kind of words about, words about uh, our children's drama, but, but I believe it was true. It was a phenomenal job, exceptional job throughout. What a great time, great opportunity for so many of our guests to be able to see our church in action and our children really celebrate Jesus and the songs and all. It was just a great time. I want, to I want to turn your attention, turn your attention to, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1. chapter 1. We've got a long passage, so no need to stand. Um, we're going to begin reading at verse 13 and read through verse 23. It says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace of that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And I'll draw your attention back to verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. God calls us to reflect his holiness, his work of transformation in our lives. That is God's call to us, that we need to reflect His holiness. How many here can recall the great fanfare surrounding the launch of the famed Hubble telescope in 1990? Some of you weren't even around then, but 1990, 33 years ago, the Hubble telescope was launched into space. Its impact on astronomy is nothing short of revolutionary. Hubble had offered us stunning images of the universe. In its decades of operation, Hubble has recorded over 1.5 million observations, including locations that are 13.4 billion light years from Earth. Analysis of those observations have resulted in over 19,000 published scientific papers. Anyone remember the formula to determine how far a light year is? The speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. Traveling that speed for a whole year, that's a light year. That's equivalent to nearly 6 trillion miles away. Six trillion miles away. Now, if you circle the globe, that's 18,000 miles. So, six trillion miles away. Yet, the furthest image they've been able to capture with the Hubble telescope is 13.4 billion light years away. So, take that number times six trillion, that's how far away it's been able to see. 
It's hard to even fathom how far that is away. Incredible. However, Hubble's mission came within literally a hair's breadth of total failure. A hair's breadth of total failure. Shortly after its launch, when Hubble began sending back its first images, scientists discovered a flaw in Hubble's primary mirror. It was known as a spherical aberration, and it prevented the mirror from focusing light on the same point. Because of the flaw, Hubble operated only a fraction of its capability. Part of what made Hubble unique was its existence as a space telescope. See, it wasn't here on Earth. It was, it's in space, and it operated without the atmospheric distortions or human light pollution. I, I, when I think about human light pollution, I think of the time when my wife and I went on our anniversary several years ago into the North Carolina mountains, way out in the middle of nowhere, where there was no other lights but the lights on in the house that we were staying in. Rented an Airbnb, and it was way out in the sticks. And literally, if you turned off all the lights in the house, it was pitch black outside. You couldn't see anything. But if you looked up, you could see stars like you'd never seen before because they were everywhere. And it was like more than you could count. You're just like, wow. I never saw that the sky was so bright. But yet all the light distortion from what we see, when we look up in the sky, we don't see much stars at all. I mean, we see a few. There's a few that are, you can point out. But when you cut out all of the distractions, you can see so much more. And by putting the Hubble telescope into space, you could absolutely see so much further, so much clearer, because there was no distortion. There was no uh, pollu uh, air, light pollution to affect that. However, when it came to repairing the Hubble telescope, it was going to be, pun intended, astronomically expensive to replace. And so... For a time, NASA contemplated returning Hubble to Earth and completely repa replacing its primary mirror. However, experts working in Baltimore, Maryland, and in, Baltimore, in, in Boulder, Colorado, came up with a different plan. By 1993, this is three years later after it had been launched, NASA had already developed an upgraded version of Hubble's wide-field planetary camera with optical adjustments that compensated for the flaw in the mirror. Taking that design as their cue, engineers created the Corrective Optics Space Telescope Actual Replacement, also called COSTAR. Basically, the engineers created a pair of glasses for the telescope. The challenge was finding a way to make COSTAR durable enough to withstand a space launch but delicate enough to insert it into the mirror array without disturbing any other components. Happily, Hubble's new pair of glasses functioned even better than expected. During Hubble's 30th anniversary in 2020, NASA celebrated its successes by releasing a series of images, including the famous Cosmic Reef image. And here's that image. That's the cosmic reef. To put it in perspective, this breathtaking image 
of the giant red nebula and its neighboring smaller blue nebula is a staggering 163,000 light years away. 163,000 light years away. Here's the astounding part of this story. You see the flaw that we talked about that almost scuttled the whole mission of the Hubble telescope was literally the size of one-fiftieth of the width of a human hair. So to the naked eye, you couldn't even see it. Like, it, didn't, it looked flawless. But yet there was a flaw so minute that it impacted, because once you start to look out 186,000 or 163,000 light years away, yeah, that little flaw becomes magnified. You know, we talk about that when you measure something, and if you're off just a little bit, the further you go out, that you really get off. And so same thing with this, just this little flaw that wasn't even visible to the naked eye was what almost thwarted the entire mission. The epistles of Peter don't always get the kind of attention as the Pauline epistles. Their brevity, especially with compared to that of the writings of Paul, leads us to the mistaken assumption that they are less valuable. Further, the precise historical circumstances of these writings have been a matter of continued debate. Though the letters consistently reference persecution, it is difficult to link those letters of Peter to a known period of systemic persecution. However, these brief letters are of immense value. We all know Peter's role on the day of Pentecost. He's the one that delivered the message, the message of salvation. He was a critical voice at the beginning of the Jesus movement. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he was critical in that part. According to the dictionary of the later New Testament and its development, these Roman Christians existed as what they would term cultural outsiders. They possibly faced social persecution, such as slander or ridicule. In more severe cases, they faced governmental opposition, such as imprisonment and banishment. Peter's message is remarkably relevant to us who learn to navigate to be in, but not of, this world. Amen? For Peter, salvation was not only a past experience, but a future hope, and it should be for us. It was an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In light of this glorious reality, Peter's first exhortation, as we read it in verse 11, was to gird up your minds. Now, he used these terms, and maybe it's not a term we necessarily use today, but it was in reference to the garments of those days. The common garment was a long, ankle-length, sleeveless tunic. It hampered fast movements, strenuous work. In circumstances requiring it, the tunic 
was then gathered up and tucked into the belt. And it was, that was worn around the waist. The Old Testament refers to this as breeches. That's where we get the term breeches, right? It was kind of like the early form of pants, basically. You did that so that way you could do certain work that you couldn't do in your tunic the way it was designed. Uh, in fact, it wasn't proper for a woman to do that. But for men, it was proper if, if, if the work required it in those days. You see, if we had lived in that day, Peter would ha- wouldn't had to have reminded us what it meant to gird up our minds. You see, we must live and look with anticipation towards the coming of the Lord. This will help us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We need to have our mind on, in the right things and on the right focus. Adopting this mindset means simultaneously rejecting another mindset. You see, what Peter called our former lusts, such captivity to unbridled desire, was the essence of the pagan lifestyle from that time. You see, that same pagan lifestyle is becoming more and more prevalent even in this day. Amen? Paul provided a lengthy, condemning description of this lifestyle in his letter to the Romans, later, later pleading with his readers in Romans 12 to be not conformed to this world. In fact, if you read Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32, you will see the behavior laid out is becoming increasingly more acceptable in our modern culture. The very things that he is saying, stay away from, our society is saying, oh, you need to accept it. This is, this is, this is good, this is wholesome. But we know it's not, and his word is uh, very clear on the subject matter. Peter and Paul both understood we tend to, toward conformity. That's, that's our tendency. And it's particular to the patterns of actions, actions controlled by not fixing our eyes on our eternal future, but on our immediate desires. It's important that we keep our eyes fixated on the future, our eternal future, because that's what really counts, right? At the end of the day, when this life is all said and done, only what we do for Christ lasts. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. So if our treasure needs to be, amen, on our eternal future. The path that leads to our coming salvation is first introduced then as a path of nonconformity, marked by its opposition to worldly values and ways of understanding. Peter expected his hearers to make a full break from their former identities, in fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter used rebirth language by describing the completeness of our transformation through salvation. We have been begotten, as he said, again unto lively hope. Unto a lively hope. This new identity is not a product of our imagination, but a direct divine action. What was this new identity that he had been given by God? Instead of pagans controlled by raging lusts, 
Peter's hearers were now children of obedience. Throughout Scripture, obedience to divine commands is the essence of humanity's proper relationship to God. It is the expression of both loyalty and faith. It is an obligation owed to God as our Creator and Lord. It is the only way for humans, humans to access divine blessing and protection. Obedience does not, does not offer us the entire picture of what it means to have a relationship with God. Because we, first of all, are children of obedience. Obedience is not simply a matter of obligation or an optimal way to guarantee success in our endeavors. Before all of that, obedience is our loving response as grateful children to a loving Father. David celebrated this precisely in Psalm chapter 103. In the English Standard Version, it says, As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those that fear him. The family imagery that serves as the basis of this call to obedience softens the break we must make with our former life. God does not call us to leave our old ways without simultaneously opening the door to welcome us into the warmth and safety of his family. Demands for obedience are more than matched by the offers of care and protection. It's not a one-sided thing when it comes to God. Amen. We get way more (laughs) in what little we give. Amen. These promises of loving care, freedom from past shame and guilt, and a sense of belonging and renewed purpose all work to motivate our pursuit of a new life offered to us in Christ. Ungirded by the glorious hope of our heavenly reward, the path has been marked out. Provision has been made. Promises have been given. All that is left is for those who believe to join the pursuit. Amen? It's up to us. It's our... It's our It's our action now. It's our step now. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. At first glance, God's call to us to be holy begins with what we ought not to do. But holiness is far more about what we ought to do. Instead of conforming to the former lusts, we are called to be holy in all manner of conversation. That's that's all aspects of our life. That's not just what we say. That's in how we act. It's how we react. It's how we treat others. All manner of conversation. Peter pointed out this commandment is rooted in the Old Testament, echoing and then directly citing Leviticus 19.2. The book of Leviticus features chapters 17 through 26, which have been dubbed the Holiness Code. This group of chapters from the middle of the book of the Pentateuch 
suggesting that its teachings are the central heart of the Mosaic Law. As we know, Jesus understood his teachings not as the overturning of the law, but of its truest fulfillment. The connection Peter drew here reaffirms the church's continuity with God's intended purposes for the Old Testament Israel. Second, the verse Peter cited stands as the head of the chapter, most notably for its variety of commandments. It appears almost haphazard. Throughout the chapter, separate arenas of life, like right worship and goodly neighborly relationships, care for the needy, prompt payment of wages, these are present and interconnected matters, but they're held together under the umbrella of the call to holiness. All of life, not just worship, is meant to be governed by God's directives. All of life. All of life. Finally, we must remember that in the Old Testament, the holiness of God is what distinguished God from man. God was holy. That was the distinguishing characteristic that, dis- uh, that you could tell the difference between man and God. He alone is morally and spiritually perfect. We are imperfect and sinful. Yet God offers to freely share with us the very thing that sets him apart from us. That is his holiness. Leviticus 19 makes clear that human holiness is a product of divine holiness. A gift that is shared more than a status that is achieved. I'm thankful for the gift of holiness. Because in and of myself, I can't be holy. But he's holy. And his holiness is sufficient to make me holy. Amen? Amen. Amen. In his book, McKnight is surely right that when Peter called his hearers to imitate God's holiness in their personal lives, he had in mind the similarity that children are to have to their parents. You see, holiness then is the family resemblance. Wow, you must, you look just like your father. Here's an example of some family resemblance. The top picture is my father and my uncle, and you know the two boys below that. A little bit of family resemblance, a couple generations away, but there is some family resemblance there. And in the same manner that there's a family resemblance there, that's the kind of family resemblance we need to have of our Father, our Heavenly Father. When people see you, they say, you look like your Father. You look like your Father. I want to look like our Heavenly Father, amen? I want to resemble Him in all manner of conversation. I want to be holy like He's holy. And I want people to be able to recognize that and say, you, just look, you look just like your Father. Amen. That's a compliment. Amen. That's the best compliment I could have. Amen. That I look just like my heavenly father. Peter returned to exploring the glorious nature of salvation, echoing and carrying forward his earlier discussion in verses 3 and 9. There, the focus was on salvation's future aspect. 
Here, the focus shifts to the past aspect. That is, salvation as an already completed work. Note the past tense. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. The biggest price was paid for your redemption. There's no greater price that could be paid for your redemption. No amount of silver, no amount of gold, no amount of riches could even come close to the price that was paid for your redemption. You see, the life of holiness is an organic response. It's akin to a spiritual reflex. It is a reflex to the fearsome wonder of God's saving work in Jesus Christ. The fatherhood of God used above to comfort and encourage here becomes an exhortation and a warning. The privileges of being God's beloved child entail the awesome responsibility of bearing his likeness in a God-honoring lifestyle. Amen? If we're living a lifestyle that honors him, people will see his reflection in us. They'll see that resemblance. That's what I want. We've all said, you look like your father. I want to look like my father. Amen? Amen. My heavenly father. Fear in this context is not fright. It is instead the constant knowledge that the child of God has that whatever he or she is about to think or to do is subject to God's, the scrutiny of God's penetrating love and holiness. It is a sensibility that is born out of our faith and hope gifted to us by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. What does such conformity to holy character of God look like? Is there an objective, visible measure Yes, it is our unfeigned love of the brethren. That's what it says. That we are all the children of God implies that not only a unique relationship with our Heavenly Father, but a unique relationship with our brothers and sisters. Amen? With one another. You see, we're not just friends, companions, colleagues, or coworkers. Oh, no, we're more than that. We're brothers and sisters. Why? We bear the image of our Father. Amen. Amen. And the love we are called to is a unique type of love. It is given a special term in the New Testament. It's a combo word in the Greek, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. It goes far beyond the expected norms of concern. You see, this Greek term, the merging of two words, Philos and Adelphos means brotherly love. That's why the motto of the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Because Philadelphia means brotherly love. So it literally is what it's named. That's what it means. Um, We are called to express this love, and this is the way Peter put it, in a pure heart fervently fervently. 
Now, when we think of the word fervent, we think of, well, prayer. Man, just get in there and really give it everything you got. Well, he's saying that we're supposed to love each other the same way. Fervently. In a pure heart. Fervently. Those are strong words. That's not just a casual, okay, love you, brother. Appreciate you, sister. No, that's a fervent love. That our, our love for one another should be fervent. Peter uh, linked back to his opening exhortation that his hearers must gird up their minds. This is the work for which they were to prepare themselves. We're to, this is work. If you're going to do something fervent, it's not, it's not a passing thing. It's not an easy thing to do. There's some work involved with it. Right. If you're going to do anything fervently yeah. with a passion, yeah. it's going to take work. It's, it doesn't come easy. But the same is true with the way that we are to love each other is with that fervency. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus states, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. How are they going to know it? If ye have love one to another. That's how they're going to know we're real disciples. Not by the words we say to them, to others, but the way we treat each other. They're going to know, oh, these those are the guys. Those people are the real deal. I see the way they treat each other. They love each other. They, they care for each other. Man, that, they're like family. Well, that's exactly what we should be. Amen. The parallel logic of Peter's teachings in First Peter chapter one is convincing and compelling. God, who has abundant mercy, has expressed His character in the glorious work of our redemption with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, whereby we are born again, as we've read earlier, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, amen? The same living word that generated life in Genesis 1 now spiritually regenerates fallen humanity. By it, we are delivered from the corrupted and corruptible system of this world into the glorious reality of eternal, incorruptible hope. Furthermore, the very character of this holy, gracious God has been imparted to us in that wondrous redemption. God, just as God expressed his character in the concrete action of the cross, we must express the reality of that inner character in concrete actions of fervent love for our brothers and sisters. That's the action we can take. Just like he took the action on the cross, our action is to be fervent in our love one for another. Near the end of the epistle, Peter reiterated this theme. And above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Amen. I want, amen. Charity can cover a multitude of sins, but that's got to be fervent. That's got to be fervent love. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are to love as we have been loved. Not from our own resources. Aren't you glad that it doesn't have to come from our own resources? 
Amen. But we have a God who has an unlimited supply. Amen. And we can lean on him. Amen. We can look to him. Amen. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and skip our video, brother. All right. Thank you. Uh, how many have ever seen one of the uh, carnival funhouse mirrors where they're kind of just warped and uh, bizarre? We've got a picture. I'm going to show you one where it kind of distorts the image. So back in February, we were at the uh, we were at, down in Orlando at a Bible quiz tournament, and we went by. And we were in Disney Springs there and uh, took some pictures by one of the uh, the little carnival mirrors that kind of distort one's image. And uh, without fail, they always seem to emphasize our worst aspects. Makes us look a little bigger than we are, which we don't want to be, certainly. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting when you consider these types of experiences and, and how a mirror that is distorted can distort what we look like. Um, we think about what Peter said, that we, that we should reflect his holiness, God's holiness. Well, if our mirror is distorted, what kind of image are we reflecting? Right, right, yeah. What are people actually say, seeing? You see, that, that flaw that was smaller than a human hair could almost destroy Hubble's effectiveness. What damage do our spiritual flaws have on our witness for Jesus? Is our mirror flawless or is it distorted? What are people seeing when they see us? This question is sobering because it points to an awesome responsibility. We all have been reminded that we are the only Jesus that some people will ever meet. So when they meet the only Jesus they'll ever meet, I want them to see the real thing. Right, right, amen. Right, right. Amen, amen, amen. How do we represent Jesus? It's easy, let's be honest, it's easy for us to be short with the clumsy bag boy at the grocery store. It's easy to snap back at a rude salesperson who called you during dinner. It's easy to lay on the horn to the guy who just cut you off while driving down the road. We could look at these and say these are just little tiny flaws that we got to work on. But what kind of reflection? What kind of reflection are we giving? They add up to a distorted reflection of the one who gave us endless mercy and love. We're saying, I, my love and mercy stops here. But Jesus says, mine is endless. I'll give you endless mercy, endless love. Are we reflecting that same? Peter was clear to this point when he called us to be holy, and we said this earlier, in all manner of conversation. And that conversation includes driving down the road, right? When you're driving in your car and somebody cuts you off. That's conversation, too. <laughs> Even if no words are said, flashing of the brights, laying on the horn, you just conversed with that individual in a way 
that I don't think reflects the Lord, mercy or love at all in that. You see, our driving habits, our eating habits, our conversations, our clothes choices, our entertainment choices, they all fall in the domain of holiness. We want to reflect Him in all choices we make, all things, all manner of conversation. Those who wish to reduce holiness to a list of rules should be warned. It would be an endless list. You couldn't create a list long enough to cover every single thing. But only when we have a proper sense of the daunting demands of holiness are we prepared to comprehend the awe of our salvation. You see, Peter wrote, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. His emphasis was not on the demand placed upon us, but on the provision given to us. You see, God's got enough holiness to go around. You see, the holiness we are called to reflect is the holiness that we don't supply, but God supplies. Amen? I want His holiness, because I can't, I can't muster enough holiness to cover You see, it's the gift of divine holiness that moves us forward on the path toward our ultimate salvation. As we call on the Father, the grace of the gospel fixes our flaws and deals with our distortions. You see, all those issues with the mirror that we're reflecting, His grace can fix those flaws, even the smallest of flaws. I'm thankful for His grace. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Because without it, man, what a horrible representation we can be. You see, in the old life, we fashioned ourselves according to the worldly lusts. In the new life, provided in Christ, God is fashioning us according to His character and His purpose. We are being actively and daily transformed by the power of His Spirit to be more like Him. Each day that we strive to live out unfeigned love, the family resemblance to Jesus Christ is stronger, and we become shining witnesses of the glory of His salvation. I don't know about you, but I want more and more, I want to be looking like Him. I want to have that family resemblance. I want that holiness shining through. Amen. I want His grace to remove all, to cover up all those distortions, to get rid of all of those flaws so that I can, I can reflect Him to this world around us. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Amen. I want to be holy because He's holy. But I can only be holy through His holiness. I can't supply it on my own, but I can rely on His supply because it's endless. Amen. Why don't we go before the Lord in prayer as we dismiss here. Lord Jesus, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word here tonight. God, we thank You, Lord Jesus, for the call to be holy. For You are holy. We pray, God, help us to be holy in all manner of conversation. 
Help us, Lord, to reflect your holiness to the world around us. Help the world to see the family resemblance, Lord, in your holiness reflected in us, Lord. We pray, God, go with each one here tonight, Lord, and throughout the remainder of this week. Help us to reflect you in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.